0: Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. Thanks for joining me. I'm joined uh, today by General Keith Kellogg, a man that needs no introduction, uh, long distinguished career in the Army and then served in the Trump administration White House on National Security Council, advised the President and the Vice President on important issues. General Kellogg, thanks for joining me. Matt, good to be with you today. Yeah, we, we talk every once in a while. I'm I'm a big fan, a big... Uh, admirer of yours Uh, i respect just the living daylights out of you and i loved uh your book that talked about your uh, you know career of service but the reason i wanted to have you on today is um i i need i want and i want anybody listening today on uh, cpac now to understand uh, what's going on with the russian invasion of ukraine so could you um i guess explain to me how you see it and then i got a bunch of specific questions if you got the time
1: yeah, sure, Matt. Well, I won't insult the audience by doing what Vice President Harris did, which was a pretty insulting way of explaining what was happening. It was like a third grade explanation. Let me what we're looking at is, is Putin has always expressed a concern that Ukraine uh, was too close for comfort, meaning he thought it was a security issue to him. and he didn't want Ukraine merging into with NATO or any t- any movement to the west at all. But he's always said that. That is something he's been saying for the last five, six, seven years. So when he didn't get those concerns, he basically invaded the country. I think a couple of things happened uh, during his route to an invasion. I think he he hugely underestimated the, the the Ukrainian will to fight and to stay independent, and he greatly underestimated their president Zelensky. And uh, he's become a real rallying cry to the Western world. You know, he was one of the guys when he said, you know, when you invade, you will see my face, not my back. And he he's kept true to his word. Uh, and I think he was un- also Putin was unaware of basically or un- understand not understanding the resolve of the West. That's always been one of his fatal flaws. We've known that for years, even when in the White House. We always knew that Putin had a problem. His problem was understanding the West. When he was a KGB officer, the furthest west he went was to Dresden, Germany. So he never had an, a real assignment overseas to really understand what how the west worked and what they thought. So he, he bought into a couple big mistakes there. You know, he, frankly, he violated rule number one that I've always believed, which actually goes back to a, a Chinese military philosopher named Sun Tzu, where he said, if you understand yourself and understand your enemy, you will win all your battles. If you understand yourself and you understand... Uh, and not of the enemy, you'll win 50, 50% of them. If you don't understand yourself and you don't understand the enemy, you'll lose all your fights. He's in the lower one-third category. He He's made a big mistake. Today, Matt, even though you see the inexorable advance of the Russian forces because of sheer sure mass, and it's 8 to 10 to 1, Russia compared to Ukraine, he is in fact losing. Because every day that goes by that he has not taken Kyiv, the capital city of Ukraine, or decapitated the government, defined as eliminating the government and putting somebody that he likes is in charge. Every day that goes by, he loses. He loses in the court of world opinion. We all see that. He loses when the allies get much stronger, which we're seeing that. And so he's not gaining any ground at all. He may win this fight long term, but I think he's bitten off more than he can chew. And I think what you're looking at, if I would pick up the phone and call him, I said, look, here's what you need to understand. Don't want an answer from you now. You know, but Vlad, here's my recommendation to you. Go back and look what happened to Afghanistan and the Soviet Union. Yeah. This is going to be your Afghanistan. Now, you can do what you want to do, fine. But I, I think this is one of those efforts that Ukraine will be the thorn in the burr under a saddle, and he's going to pay a long-term price.
0: Yeah, watching this play out on television and social media, I think one of the things that I wasn't surprised by, but to your point of the not understanding himself and his military is how um, behind the times it appears the Russian military is. They may have two hundred thousand or so fighters, but their equipment looks very Soviet era almost. What are you seeing as you see seen well,
1: these wait, here's what's stunning, Matt. They've gone through a ten-year modernization plan. I mean, that's the reason all of us who had have military backgrounds thought this would be. A, he'd be in Kiev in three or four days. Surround the city, pound it, and and keep moving on. He hasn't done that. So all his modernization may have been in equipment, but it sure wasn't on how he fights. And, you know, you can have the best equipment in the world, but if you don't know how to fight, you've got a real problem. I used to tell people from the first Gulf War, I said, if we had taken all of our equipment, which was the best in the world, and given it to the Iraqis, and we had taken all of their equipment, we still would have beaten them because we fought differently. We, we, our leadership taught us how to fight well, we were conditioned how to fight well, we trained how to fight well, and we executed well. Their method of command and control and leadership uh, is in fact Soviet. Their equipment may be modern but their leadership's not. And that's causing enormous problems. And frankly we're picking up on it because you know, they've actually had to resort to unclassified or, un, un, you know, uh, uh, open discussions on their radios because mm-hmm. their real secure system is broken down. So we're seeing the confusion they've got in their ranks.
0: Yeah. And one of the other things I read is, uh, speaking of the training, is that the West has been training the Ur- Ur- uh, Ukrainian military like uh, five divisions a year uh, over the last several years since Ukraine determined that a Russian invasion could be in the works.
1: Yeah, not only we train them, though, what you can't ignore is the fighting spirit. You know, I, I've told people, and my wife was reminding me that she's getting a little bit old here in it, but it's an old Napoleonic axiom that the moral to the physical is three is to one, which meant, even Napoleon understood this, that you can't ever discount the will and the fighting spirit of an army, and that's what he meant. You know, fighting spirit really counts. And, and I, I'll tell you, Matt, the Ukrainians are really showing that. They're showing a, a spirit of fighting, and and unusual tactics, and I think it's really confounding the Russians. And I think, as I said today, if, if this was a fight, a prize fight, and we were in, say, round seven right now, Russia's behind on points. Yeah. It's pretty clear. You, you know, Ukraine's winning the fight. Uh, it may be close, but the problem I've got right now is, over time, just the sheer size of the Russian military, mass will... Will eventually take over, but here's what's going to be really interesting to me, and I've said this all along. I all along, I said he does not have the distance or the legs, the capacity, to take all of Ukraine. That's being proven out. If you look at it, there's he has now committed almost 100% of his invasion force. He's nowhere near the Dnieper River, and crossing over the Dnieper River to get to the west, he's nowhere there. He's overextended and is showing the real gaps in his army. I, I mean, I, if I was, first of all, he's really emboldened NATO because NATO is now going. We're afraid of this guy. Right. Right. And and I, I think even President Xi is probably saying the same thing. Well, I'm not too worried about this guy. This guy maybe maybe I'd made this handshake deal too early.
0: Yeah. Well, what I mean, this you know, I always um, I didn't think that the Russians could project power much past their borders, and to your point um that's playing out before our eyes but you know one of the other interesting things i've been reading about and paying attention to is not only the regular ukrainian army but this this irregular army where it appears anybody uh of you know that's that's physically able to is is picking up arms and defending their countries kind of like you would expect to see if the united states was ever Mm -hmm. invaded but the i guess the thing i really want to understand is is from from a military commander standpoint and from your point viewpoint how do you command this irregular army of volunteers and you know sort of ordinary citizens that may or may not be armed i noticed one picture had a guy with a wooden gun <laughs> waiting for his uh issue uh to you know to come through but how do you how do you how do you command an irregular army together with a regular army
1: well they merge them and i think that's what the U- ukrainian military is doing is the quasi military the military they're bringing them into their their organizations, it's sort of like, okay, we bring 10 people in and tell the number one guy, the tallest guy there, okay, you're the squad leader. And the rest of you follow me and you put one soldier with him and you go out and you, you kind of do good. there. I am sure there's ways that they're doing this and that's the way we would do it. It's sort of like our National Guard concept or the, the leader to lead concept where all you need take is one or two soldiers and you sort of follow me and this is what we'll do. And he's turned a whole na- Putin's turned a whole nation against him. I mean, he cannot. There's no way that I can see Russia occupying this nation. They don't have the garrison force to do it, and there's going to be they're going to pay a terrible price. Here, you know, Matt. Here's what's really interesting to me, though, is the one thing that I'm confused about. I've got the military efforts going on. I've got the resupply of equipment to Ukraine. I've got NATO uh, reinforcing all the nations. You know what I don't see? I don't see the diplomacy, Pete. I don't see any diplomatic efforts. Now, part of that, I think, is because Biden has got no credibility with Putin, and Putin, of course, has no credibility with Biden. Right. I mean, they, they don't like each other. It's clear. But he's, Biden has basically written off talking to Putin. Uh, you know, he can say all he wants to, that I want to talk to Putin, he won't. So I heard, I read, heard today or read about it, that it looks like Macron of France and Schultz of Germany are talking with Xi. That's what you may see. And I think what you may see long term because of that, you're going to see a European alliance that doesn't rely on the United States diplomatically. So Biden can say, well, we're leading the West, leading the West. Well, we're leading the West by following them. And and I think you're going to see that because Putin is not talking to the U.S. He's talking to everybody but the U.S. Uh, And long term, people need to understand, Ooh, this is I know where this is going. We've got no credibility with the Russians.
0: Is there, um, and so in your mind, um, this, where we, for example, on Nord Stream or some of these other energy sanctions, uh, waited for the Germans to come along. Uh, the Biden administration is very, are they happy to be taking a backseat to France and Germany? Um, or is this some, um, you know, uh, jujitsu diplomacy? <laughs> I, I never want to give the Biden administration uh, much credit, but you know what? What could just nobody? Nobody trusts or believes them. Is what you're telling me?
1: Yeah, I, I think they they realize that it, it's you know, what do they say in Texas? All hat, no cattle. I you think know. that's what they're looking at Biden and and but here the the Europeans again are you know you know I had a hope when Schultz of Germany said they're going to resurrect their army and go up to two percent GDP spent on defense. I was fine with that until today. He said, well, we're not going to cut any energy imports. He just undercut himself. Because that's what's, the, the way you get to Russia is you attack them economically, okay? And that, that the biggest one is energy. You know, I had always thought, it depends what number you use, I can give you three different numbers from three different sources. Bottom line is between 40 and 60% of Germany's uh, energy comes from Russia. Well, they need to go cold turkey. Well, they're not going to do that. Schultz said he wasn't. Well, then if you're going to continue to draw their energy, you're going to continue to pay them. You, you've kind of under, you know, undercut your case. And you, you, you everybody really says, well, NATO, 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 we're tough, we're tough, we're tough. This is going to be an interesting game to watch play out. Uh, and that's the reason I said about the diplomatic piece, because sooner or later wars end. They always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, how do you end it? And I don't even think we're thinking that. I just don't get the feeling we're being creative. I don't think we're pushing back on Putin. And I don't have a good answer for you, Matt, but I think what I would do, you know, I'd I'd probably grab my smartest people in, and move them over to the executive office building, you know, next to the west wing of the White House and take them up on the fir- fifth floor of the EOB and, and give them a, a whole lot of really warm beer and cold pizza and say, you guys come up with good solutions and let's figure what the solutions are and go forward. I don't think we're doing that. I think we are entirely reactive to what's happening.
0: Yeah, and Germany has done this to themselves, General, because... They canceled as soon as Trump left office. They canceled the two liquid natural gas terminals that they were going to construct to import U.S. LNG, and I believe they've been uh, uh, taking offline their their nuclear power plants since I guess since Fukushima uh, happened. And so now their dependence on natural gas from Russia to power their energy is, like you said, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent. With no plan to wean themselves off of Russian gas.
1: Yeah, there's there's not, and I, I read this morning that it looks like the nuclear power plants, and most of them are in, in uh, bottom wurttemberg in the and and actually in the Munich area, uh, that they they've decided they haven't decided they they're talking now about at least extending their life for another three years, and because they realize they've got an energy issue, but but you, and that's by the way that's the reason why the French aren't worried. You know, the French is a nuclear nation. Basically, it does all its energy from nuclear. Uh, and and I think uh, they, they now stay dependent on Russia. And I think when this is all said and done, they're going to continue to stay dependent on Russia. And that's going to be... An, that's going to put us back in this really interesting uh, predicament of, okay, you know, Germany, if you're going to continue to take all of that, you know, fuel from Germany, where do you really stand? Because there, you know, people said, "Well, we've shut down the Nord Stream Two pipeline." Doesn't make any difference. The Nord Stream One pipeline is still open. Yep. The Atlantic pipeline is still open. The, you know, all those pipelines going across Europe. Not one of them has been shut down.
0: Hmm. What do you see as the most? I mean, what what are the what are the possible outcomes of this conflict, and what's the most likely outcome?
1: Well, the. the 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 possible or probable outcome is I think you see an what we used to have an East and West Germany you have an East and West Ukraine I think that's the worst case because I don't think Putin can continue this fight uh, into the west out there they but he starts to butt the NATO countries which is violation of exactly what he said he wanted which was to have some buffer that's what I would say his best case and our worst case our best case in his his worst case is that Ukraine actually continues to survive and and he, he sees his military being basically humiliated in the world and people say pull back but I think there's going to be constant conflict because I don't think he's willing to get up on the autonomous zones uh, on the east I don't think he's willing to give up Crimea and I think if, if they went to Zelensky and said this thing's over if you recognize both of those I don't think Zelensky will do it I think Zelensky has reached the point where he says, I ain't giving in anything to this guy. Uh, So that's where somebody is going to have to have broker this diplomatically and turn it either over to the EU or the UN or somebody, because neither side's going to give. I don't think Zelensky, as long as he stays alive, is going to give one inch to Putin. And Putin is too stubborn because he doesn't understand Zelensky to do the same. So I think you're heading for a real stalemate intellectually and diplomatically.
0: And so do you see, I mean, if I'm if I'm a Russian with any kind of historical knowledge, you don't have to look very far back to their invasion of Afghanistan and ultimately their humiliation at the hands of shoulder fired rockets supplied nominally, I guess, arguably by the United States. And it seems like that's exactly what's going to happen here in the Ukraine. at 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 worst, a guerrilla war, uh, but most likely a, a continued conflict with these, you know, tank and uh, service to air shoulder-fired missiles.
1: Yeah, that's really, it's sort of like Putin has got himself in a briar patch, and he's going to have to figure out how to extract himself. And Zelensky's not going to give him an easy way out. Zelensky's going to keep throwing, you know, him back into the, the the briar patch, even if he may try to get out, because Zelensky won't give up any territory. And he's refused to over the years during the Minsk process when they tried to do some type of uh, solving the problem with the two breakaway republics uh, on the East. So Putin's going to have to try to figure this one out to try to save face. And the only thing he's going to try to do, I believe, is continue the advance to finally take Kiev, finally take the Eastern part. But but I Matt, you've been, you know, you've seen in the White House and how to do it. And man, I would, if I was, biden i would have called in my my cia director and i would have issued a presidential finding the first day and that finding is to use all his covert and clandestine capability to train ukrainians and go against the russians and that's what i said about going back to afghanistan because that's what we did in afghanistan i would make life a living hell for putin
0: well he's got to be um certainly unhappy with what's happening and the progress and Maybe he's deluded enough to think that he can just continue to press the force because you said the numbers are just in his favor. But what what do you think is next? If if we are in kind of this standoff and a war of wills, um, at some point in time, uh, doesn't Putin risk a threat from inside Russia?
1: Yeah, that's what I – you said what, what's his long-term concern. Uh, today, if I was Putin, I'd double up my bodyguards. Um because either the oligarchs going to get him, or the military is going to get him, or something's going to happen. Because if he can't produce this, and and Russia has become a pariah state. I mean, he, you know, Putin's beyond being a pariah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's actually reaching point. Is he? He's actually, you know, just not only just a, a, a thug, but you know, this is a guy who can be brought up on war crimes. But his military is going to say, God, we're we're looking stupid. We're looking bad. And we're becoming a pariah nation and being embarrassed by everybody, and that's going to be hard to you know forget. I mean, I will tell you, if you if the war stopped today, and and I've known I know people in the military, everybody is saying across the board, you know those guys aren't very good, and you don't all, you don't want to have that, and your reputation as a military, when they start equating your military. To the Vermont National Guard, and it's probably an insult to the Vermont National Guard.
0: Yeah, one uh, one final question. I know uh, we've got limited time here, but one final question. I've noticed that Russia has lost a couple field generals uh, in this last two weeks. I mean, how devastating is that for an army uh, that needs uh, you know that type of leadership on the field?
1: Well, I say one thing. I say tongue in cheek. It's always good for morale to lose a general. <laughs> Because the soldiers say, well, they're out there with us. They've uh, they've lost a couple, according to their reporting. The biggest one they lost to me was the general that commanded their 7th Airborne. And he was a top-flight general, um, you know, and a a backhanded compliment to him. He was out where he was supposed to be, which was with his troops near the front. But what that's telling me is the Ukrainian targeting is pretty good. And they're going after their senior officials, senior officers, uh, and losing generals like that is never good. You know, we lost, I think six in Vietnam total, uh, but they, it, it, but it's always, it's never good to lose a general because that kind of tells you that the enemy's taking the attack, the fight to you.
0: Yeah. Well, general Keith Kellogg, thank you for again, taking the time to, um, help me understand some of these issues. Uh, you know, everyone that, that follows, uh, CPAC now and, and follows my show, Liberty and Justice is, uh, Learn something every time they listen to you. So I very much appreciate your time, and we'll do this again soon.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, General. Thank you.